0: I was always in trouble a lot. I was definitely disruptive. I talked a lot and just uh, made out-of-turn comments. I was okay at school at first, academically. Even in, like, second grade, I was sent to the, quote, gifted program. But I didn't do very well there. Uh, People are very mean when they're gifted kids. And I was just already not very fitting in. People always told me I was really smart, and I could do it if I tried, and I just didn't try. I didn't need to try, actually, for a lot of the time, because I was one of those kids I could just, like, barely pay attention and then just kind of get a B, and that'd be good. Third, fourth grade, I guess that's about when my sister died. I, I definitely, like, became very isolated, and I stopped talking to people. She was two, so I was eight when she drowned. On Father's Day, terrible at a pool party. The pool had one of those big screens around it, so it was actually supposed to be child-proofed, because the people whose pool we were at also had children. But there was actually a bit of screening that was pulled up on one of the corners. So when no one was looking, she just got under the screen and fell in the pool. And it was only for a couple of minutes that she was missing, but um, she was in there long enough to go brain dead. And at the end, we had to pull the plug at the hospital. I mean, obviously, my parents were devastated. My my parents always had a really rocky marriage, even before this. And after the fact, my mother would always be like, oh, well, we couldn't be perfect parents, because we've lost a child, our child died. But I, I know... I know that their marriage was bad before that, because they argued about her. And they would yell, like, they yelled all the time, screaming, like, waking me up at night. And they would be yelling in between her screams. And so, her death wasn't the reason my parents' marriage was unhappy. They already were. She just pushed them over the edge. My stepdad, I don't think, really... He... Cared, but I don't think he really had any interest in hands-on parenting. He worked like twelve hours a day uh, doing construction, and then he just came home and like played video games, just sat in front of the TV. Like I didn't, we didn't really interact or do anything. They just like went away to like this other quarter of the house, and they didn't want me to be all in the secondhand smoke. And they also drank, and they just wanted their own private space where I wasn't. So they just kind of fucked off to that part of the house. Once, I I was a kid, and I was, like, waiting to go to school or something, and my mother, like, was on the phone in the den, and I knocked, and I was like, hey, we need to go, and she was like, I'm on the phone, go wait for me in the living room. So I did, and I was sitting there just for a couple of seconds, and she, like, came storming out of the den, like, screaming at me, because for some reason she thought that I was, like, standing in front of the door, like, listening to her conversation, and I just obviously wasn't. And she was just really paranoid about stuff like that. She thought that I would, like, go in her bedroom and, like, look through her stuff. Because she did that to me, of course. So she just assumed that I did it to her also. There was a big domestic violence issue. And, I mean, like, he beat her, too. I don't know if she ever touched him, but... It was, like... It was, it was a lot. The cops were called from neighbors and from me and from just... It was a lot of times. At one point, uh, it finally got bad enough that she got a restraining order against him and kicked him out of the house. And uh, this was actually after she had lost her job, because you see, they were in the middle of a really bad spat. And he had, like, keyed her car, he'd bitch on her driver's seat, you know, and all that. And then he went to her work. She was a waitress. She always worked waitressing jobs her whole life, only for a couple of years at a time. She never really held down jobs, honestly. And, uh, he just showed up and sat there and, like, was making a problem. And her manager was like, we cannot have this here. If you can't keep your personal life separate, then you gotta go. And, like, they fired her, like, in the middle of this. Which I think was terrible. And he was stalking us for a while, like, while he was moved out. He would, like, drive around the block and, like notes and my mother would tell me to like get away from the window or to like tell her if i saw anything or call the cops if i saw anything suspicious and there was this whole like period of that and i don't know why but they got back together and i really don't have an answer for you why but they did probably money probably because she got fired they stayed together till i was about 15 and then he moved out again finally Everyone was either divorced or in an abusive relationship with a bad husband. Pretty much that was the the MO of my mother's friends in her life. And for a long time, this is why I didn't consider myself an abused child, because her friends, they literally beat their kids, like black and blue. And, you know, I'd say, Phew, that's not me. I'm not getting beat up. So, and, you know, people just thought, oh, the yelling. It's yelling, it's unpleasant, everyone's parents yells. It's okay, hang in there. I'm actually a trans man, and uh, when I was growing up, my mother definitely wanted a certain type of daughter, and I was not that daughter. She wanted a dressy, cute, feminine, shopping kind of daughter. I just started puberty too early. I was, like, still trying to play with my friends, and my friend's mother, actually, she banned me from playing with her daughters unless I put a bra on, because I had just started needing to wear a bra. And she was like, you cannot play with my daughters unless you put a bra on. I'd have shorts on, and she'd, like, corner me from going out of the house and be like, you cannot leave the house unless you shave your legs. disgusting. And she sets up like that all the time. I did not cope very well. I had bad coping mechanisms. I was a self-harmer. I had disordered eating, and I didn't really connect with people. I just sort of stayed in my room. I played video games a lot. Still do. I was very much kind of a shut-in. I mostly just didn't do things. That was a big problem with my mother. My mother hated that I never went out. She didn't understand my interests. I know I didn't have a whole lot of them. But she wanted me to be out of the house and with friends and stuff. She hated me being in the house. She she thought that it wasn't normal for me to not want to be going out and doing things. Like once, it was a weekend, and I wasn't working. And I went out with a friend, and I didn't have a curfew. She was just like, you know, be safe, come back. And I came back at, like, 7. It was really early for a Saturday night for a teenager. And she, like, went crazy. She was like, why are you back? She, no normal teenager comes home at this time on a Saturday. You need to go back out there and go do something. I don't care what it is, but I need alone time. I need me time. And I was just like, okay. And I grabbed my DS, and I, like, went and got, sat in the McDonald's for three hours. And then I came home at, like, 10 after she'd had some alone time. And it was just stuff like that, you know, she just wanted the house to herself for a while and she just, like, kicked me out and just told me to go do something. She actually was not able to finish high school because she had a pretty severe injury. And she actually had to stay home recuperating for several months and she had too many missed days. There's an attendance rule, you have to be in school even if you've completed the work for a certain number of days. And she was very indignant about that, so instead of just going back to school for that another year, she got her GED and then just emancipated herself at, like, 16, and uh, then never went to college. At first I felt very bad for her, and I tried really hard not to get on her nerves or do anything that would make her mad. But, like like I mentioned, she would invent reasons to be mad at me. She would think that I was going through her room and things like that she had superhuman hearing, so if I dropped something while I was getting ready for breakfast or something, she would come crashing out of her bedroom door, slamming it open, stomping down the hall, and she would just start screaming at me about how I, I don't care how tired she is, and obviously that I'm doing this on purpose because something or another, and she really just, like, was convinced that I, I hated her. And even now, I do not hate my mother. I I definitely think she was a neglectful parent, but I have a lot of empathy for her situation. She had so many illnesses her whole life. So she like needed the medical care. She did have cervical cancer, and she had a hysterectomy to take care of that. And I believe that was cured. And then she developed Graves' disease. It's a thyroid condition. Uh, she had hyperthyroid. Her thyroid was too active, and it gave her like heart palpitations, and it made her really moody, and it made her lose a lot of weight and stuff like that. So then she had to have chemotherapy to have her thyroid actually destroyed, essentially, and she would have to take synthetic thyroid hormones to keep her body in check, and that's apparently very rough. Graves condition, thyroid conditions in general, they they mess with everything. Your, your thyroid is your regulator for your whole body. So it's really no surprise that she was just so dysregulated. By high school, I was not doing great. I was extremely suicidal. I had a lot of ideation, and I didn't really do anything to act on it, other than self-harming a bit. Honestly, high school is just kind of a non-factor to me. I guess a lot of people look back in high school, like, nostalgically. I think my mother did want me to go to college. Uh, there, There was no college fun. We were poor people. And we actually lost our house when I was 18. I just graduated high school. She managed to hold on to the house that long enough. And then, like, the start of that summer, we had to move out of our house and I had to go stay with my uncle for six months, because I actually had just joined the army. Again, right after I finished high school, because I couldn't see anywhere else to go. I had been in JROTC for four years, and they are constantly like, Hey, join the army. Every time, you get college, you get money. Because uh, if you die in the Army, they actually give you, like, $400,000. And I was like, oh, cool. If I die, then I just get four hundred grand for, like, my mom or something. You know, I was, like, going to die anyway, I figured, right? And, of course, I didn't go into a combat MOS. I went into a uh, air defense artillery. My title was 14 Juliet, and that is Air Defense, Command, Communications, Computers, and Intelligence, Tactical Operations, Enhanced Center, Operator, Maintainer. And yes, that is, I think, the longest title in the army. And all I did was sit in the box and stare at a radar. And if someone fired a missile at us, I'd call up someone else and they would deal with it. That was my job, 24 hours a day. I don't think I would have liked any army job, but I definitely- they don't explain to you, obviously, what most of these jobs are in the little training videos, or when they're trying to get you to enlist, they show all kinds of cool clips of missiles and planes and stuff happening, they don't actually tell you what the job is, of course. I was still presenting as female when I joined the army. Uh, At the time, trans people weren't actually allowed in the army. Actually, when I joined, Don't Ask, Don't Tell was repealed like a month later, so technically I wasn't even allowed in the army. It was not cool. I definitely hit a mental low when deployed. It was very hot. It's very hot in Bahrain. Uh, In the summer it's well over 100 degrees, 110 even sometimes. Bras are very uncomfortable when it's hot. And when you're sweating and when you're wet, like when you've just come back from the shower for example, So, I would not wear a bra on my way from my dorm to the shower, and on my way from the shower to the dorm, because I was not going to sit there and wrestle myself into a sports bra when I'm soaking wet and steaming hot. Apparently, there were enough formal complaints about this that I got counseled. And counseling is an actual physical form that they give you, and that you have to sign and say, I've been counseled. It's like a a written warning. Saying, you can't do this. You can't walk around base without a bra. Because uh, you're a soldier and there's a certain uniform you have to be in. And you have to maintain yourself to this image. And blah, 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 blah. So, that really sucked. And I'd already gotten in trouble for revealing clothing. And as I mentioned, I was not a girly girl. I didn't wear provocative clothing. It was just like, maybe a little bit too low cut. And that was dumb. But then like a week later a sergeant, um, we were standing in the breakfast line, and I don't remember how we got on the topic, but we were just talking about women not wearing bras, and he was like, well, uh, you know, if, if she got assaulted when that happened, isn't it really her own fault, you know, because she's not wearing a bra, it seems like she was asking for it, and stuff like that, then later that, that same day, Same sergeant, lunchtime, comes up and he starts talking to me again. And he was like, well, I was talking to all my guys. And they agree that if, you know, this hypothetical woman who wasn't wearing a bra was, say, to get assaulted or raped or something, you know, didn't she really bring it on herself? And they said, yeah, that seems like it was preventable and it was her fault. And he like kept going on about it while I'm like sitting here trying to eat my food and he's just like really uncomfortably close like talking about this hypothetical woman getting raped and uh at that point I was like okay um I'm uncomfortable with this I think I'm gonna go report this to our human resources officer and I made it a restricted report it's anonymous it does not require me to do anything. I don't have to actually fill out a report. I'm just saying, hey, this happened. Not cool. Please go talk to this guy. And make sure it doesn't happen again. Literally two hours after I made this report, one of his guys came to the HR officer and made a report about this sergeant because he was still talking about it. Like, he was like, and it was finally at the point where he was uncomfortable. He was like, this is, this is not okay. It's clearly about me. And he was just taking it too far. If somebody gets multiple reports against them, restricted reports become unrestricted because it's like a pattern of behavior. So they like go back to it and say, okay, well now you do have to fill out a report about what happened. So there was, like, a whole bunch of people involved. There was, like, 20 people that were giving statements, and, like, he got moved to another unit. At one point, I was actually working, and I got a call. And I had already made up my report, like, so many different times and talked to a bunch of different people in interviews and stuff, and they called me. And they wanted to know specifically if I felt like his comments were directed at me, because that changed it. From, he's just making misogynist comments, to, he's sexually harassing me, specifically. And, uh, honestly, I probably should have said yes. But, I was just kind of tired of it, and, like I said, I was working. And I already wasn't super popular in my unit, because I was kind of hard to get along with. So I just said no. I didn't feel targeted. And I uh, went on with my life. I don't think he... He didn't get demoted. I know that. I'm sure he probably got some mark in his record at some point. But he just moved on to another unit. To harass other soldiers, probably. I always knew I wasn't like other girls. Unquote. It was It was very obvious to me. But you don't have that language. When people don't give you... The means to express yourself, then you can't just decide things like that, you know. And when when I learned that this is a thing, lots of people go through it, it's actually pretty normal. I'm like, oh, well, that makes a lot of sense. I guess that's me. And I don't think there's there was really a big like light bulb moment of oh my gosh, this is who I am inside, really truly, because there's always imposter syndrome too. You're like ah, oh, well, I don't know, maybe I'm just a a butch dyke or something, you know, people kind of get a little anal about boxes and labels and things like that. Uh, the worst part was I was already married at the time to my husband, who thought I was a woman, and bless him, but he did not care. Like, he was not, he was not prepared at first. He had to, like, learn how to adjust, like, new name, new pronouns, new me. I have a beard now. Stuff like that. But we've been married for 10 years. I got married a year after I joined the army. Actually, what happened was we met in training. And we both got sent from training to the same duty station. And then at that duty station, we were actually in barracks right next to each other. So we were always hanging out. And we were dating there, regardless. My husband and I, we never yell. And, uh... That is really cool to me. Like, I can't believe that we've been married for ten years and we don't yell. We don't really argue. We disagree. We have disagreements and we talk about it. You know, like adults. But we never yell. We never scream. We never hurl insults at each other and just start cussing one another out. Just like at the top of our lungs. I'm very sensitive to screaming even now. It's definitely a trigger for me in the army, especially when I got yelled at. I really like, I tried really hard not to, but it really got to me. And I think that's like part of why they like sensed that weakness in me. I think I, I would call myself an agoraphobic even before the quarantine. Like I, that didn't change my life at all. I definitely do not like being cooped up in my house. But I have, um, I just am very scared of going out and being in public and being in crowds, even though I pass. Pass for a cis man. I mean, most people, when I go out, they don't even know. And we moved here to this different apartment. It's a first-floor apartment, and that gives me a lot of anxiety, because I am always worried that someone is staring at me, and I... In hindsight, think this might be a holdover from when our stepdad was stalking us and I was always looking out windows. I, I drive Lyft. I actually like doing Lyft. I don't mind it. It's like, I set my own hours, and when I'm in my car, I'm actually okay. Being out and about in society, it freaks me out, it gives me real bad anxiety. But when I'm in my car, in my little box, in my space... And I can lock my doors. It's easy. I just pick someone up, have a light conversation, drop them off, maybe talk to them a bit if they don't feel good. I'm allowed to kick anybody out of my car for any reason, as long as it's not discriminatory in nature. I'm just allowed to cancel the ride. It's Lyft policy. It always has been. But you know, I've had all kinds of bad experiences. Like a lady who thought I was kidnapping her once. It was a very drunk, wealthy white lady. I was going to drop her off at her hotel, and I arrived at the street, or at least the drop-off location, and she she looked around, and she was like, this isn't my street. Where am I? I don't know where I am. And I'm like, okay, we'll find out. Here's And I pulled up a list of all the hotels in the area, because it was a chain, and there were more. And the first one I pulled up was like, is this the one? And she's like, yes, that's the hotel. She starts asking me all kinds of like really invasive questions, like where do I live and what's my name and my age and am I married and things and I don't know it's just like it was kind of uncomfortable and we finally pulled up to the, the the hotel the new one that she had said was the correct one and lo and behold that's not the right one either she was very drunk and she was like oh you're why are you doing this you, you're kidnapping me oh I'm gonna I'm gonna start filming you and she whips out her phone and she's filming me And I'm like, okay, you know, I think I'm going to just end this ride. And she, like, kept saying that I was kidnapping her, even though I, like, wasn't taking her anywhere. Passengers have been really bad. Nobody wants to wear their mask. Nobody cares. And I'm, I'm diabetic. I'm immunocompromised. There was this young woman... I was picking up from a sports bar, very drunk, not wearing a mask, and I explained to her that she needs to have a mask on before she gets in the car. I'm already not looking forward to the ride, and it's a 30-minute ride all the way out to Hillsboro. Of course, she gets in the car, and within 10 seconds, she takes the mask off. You know how they just sort of let it slip down, like, hee hee I didn't notice, And I caught it because, of course, uh, we haven't even started yet. We haven't even driven out of the parking lot yet. And I'm like, hey, put your mask on, please. And there she goes, giving me lip again. And I'm just, like, not feeling like it. And she's, like, on the phone with her boyfriend, and she's being rude. And I'm like, ma'am, I'm going to cancel this ride. I'm sorry. Please get out of my car. And she got real mad at me. And she started trying to bribe me you know, with money as they do. And I'm like, even if I accept it, I've already canceled the ride. You know, there's nothing I can do. You've just got to leave. And her boyfriend was like, it's okay, baby, don't worry. I just, I'm already calling another one. It's okay. But she was not happy with this. She just kind of started going at me. Like, she just started wailing at me with her hands and her purse. And she knocked my glasses off and she's calling me a sissy faggot. And she's just like screaming in my ear. But Eventually her friend Came around to her side and pulled her out of the car. I reported this to Lyft, of course. But um, they just gave me like the same old cookie cutter. Like, ah, this sucks. This should never happen. We'll do something about it, thanks. You know, the same message I get if someone like throws up in my car. No different, really. It was over an hour before a cop arrived. Actually, he didn't even arrive. I finally left and went home. And he called me because I'd left them my number. And he took my report down over the phone because they had other more important things to do. The police officer asked me. He was like, now, was she calling you a faggot? Or was she just calling you a faggot? Like, in a hate crimey way? Or was she just calling you a faggot? That was really upsetting. And I stopped driving for a couple of months. Because... There's literally nothing stopping it from happening again. Being able to kick people out of my car doesn't mean that they will leave my car or leave me alone. I think that people need to take their own promise seriously, because I don't. You just uh, kind of live with it. You know, you'll be making dinner and then you'll just think of, you know, these horrible things and you would be like, Oh, wow, that was terrible. And then you just move on with your life, that sucked, okay. I absolutely have a humor coping mechanism. I'll talk about my fucked up life and just be like, oh, you know, that's how it is. Laugh it off. And that's actually disrespectful. Not just to myself, but to other people who've experienced these things and are suffering. And it definitely made me suffer. Outwardly, I would be acting like I'm fine about it. And I know for a fact that that made people think there was something wrong with me. Because I'm like laughing at this extremely fucked up situation. Self-deprecating humor, even if it's just targeted at yourself, it does affect other people who are like you. I tried to talk to my mother because she's actually dead now. I went full no contact with her for six years six months before she died. I didn't know she was dying. I don't know if she knew she was dying. And if she did, it was good on her to keep that from me instead of holding it over my head. She'd had a botched surgery. I guess there was like a cobalt leak or something and a hip replacement. Very toxic, very deadly, very bad, malpractice suit waiting to happen. But before she died, I tried to talk to her about her contributions to a variety of problems that I have, and she just you know the old I did my best, it was hard, hard life, you know. And I tried to explain that the reason that I hadn't talked to her was because of the way she had treated me, the screaming and the humiliation. I really felt like a burden, honestly. And I I say that because, honestly, she told me I was a burden. You know, my mother. And I was finally like, this is why I have not been talking to you. This is why you were an abusive parent. This is my problems. And I just laid it out. And she, at first, she handled it really well. She was like, I don't understand, but I love you. Here's some medical information in case you ever need it. And I was like, oh wow, that's a really great response. Maybe I'll actually have a relationship with my mother, because I really just needed her to acknowledge that she had done wrong. I guess she like got in her head and just started like steaming again, because 20 minutes later I was getting huge block texts about how this is bullshit and she tried her best And if anyone asked her, she would say that I had been an abusive child. And (laughs) I was just like, that is so completely insane. Like, I didn't even take it personally. I handed the phone to my, my husband, and I was like, please tell me I'm not crazy. Please read this and acknowledge that this doesn't make sense. And he was like, oh no, this is all just like, she's just going Parents feel attacked because they work so hard. From their perspective, they've just fought tooth and nail to, like, keep rent going, keep all the bills paid, keep a child in school and things like that. And then you tell them, hey, you were an abusive parent. Here's why. And they just can't really focus on it because to them there's just all these other things that they had to do all these sacrifices and long sleepless nights and in my mother's case enduring abuse physical abuse i didn't need her to apologize for things like being poor or like not buying me the newest whatever or something or even uh living with an abusive parent because i understand like i know that the domestic violence wasn't her fault I wonder what she could have been like if she just had been kind of allowed to live. Kind of maybe think she shouldn't have had me. I don't think that that's, like, a depressing thought. I kind of think, like, she shouldn't have had me. You know, a lot of people will see people who've come from an abusive situation and will be like, oh, wow, you're so strong for making it through that. And again, I kind of feel like that's, like, not giving credit to the people who didn't emerge from those situations in worse shape than me. Because I don't think that I I would say I'm unscathed, but I'm definitely in a lot better space. I stopped being so suicidal a few years ago. After I transitioned, uh, I've only been getting better. The last several years in a row, I've only been getting better.